episode 42, Patrick and Cyprian speak with returning guest Nelson Yanofsky of Brooklyn College. The team discussed the algorithms of quantum, error correction, resilience, and NP and NP-complete problems. Welcome to Entangled Things, your quantum computing podcast, hosted by Patrick and Cyprian. Good morning, Cyprian. How are you doing? Hi, Patrick. Doing great. Looking forward for another interesting episode of Entangled Things. Well, I don't think you're going to be disappointed today. We're joined again by Nasen. Nasen, can you introduce yourself again? Uh, we had a great conversation last time. We're looking forward to this one. Hello, hello. This is Nasen Yanevsky, and it's a it's a pleasure talking, meeting up with you guys again and talking to you, and I look forward to this a lot. Thank you. So um, I think we want to pick up where we left off last time. Last time we started talking about the the algorithms. Uh, you, we spent a lot of time in the last episode talking about how you teach it, the books that you've written about this topic. Uh, but but it's been almost a year and a lot's happened. Do you want to tell us what you think of the current state of the art of the algorithms that are starting to uh, appear? Right. So, so I, I'd actually like to... I re-listened to it, and actually, it was it was it was an interesting chat about how we how the knowledge of quantum computing has to spread more more out there, and how teaching teaching it works in the books, etc. But I finished off that um, podcast with a with a statement, and I'd like to restate it and and take it from there. And I said something uh, that I thought was not well known: quantum computers are not faster than classical computers. They are not faster than classical computers. In fact, they're probably a lot slower to the extent that we have them. Um, Whatever quantum computers now, in other words, every single operation that a quantum computer does uh, takes longer than a classical computer. So quantum computers are not faster. What they are is their algorithms demand less work. Okay, so the 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 main example of this is uh, factoring numbers. Okay, that's that's the main example, and I'll, I'll explain in a, in a second what that is. And it turns out in classical computers, um, factoring numbers takes a long t- it takes a lot of operations. And with a quantum computer, it takes fewer operations, and so we can factor numbers with a quantum computer faster than we can factor numbers with a classical computer. Now, if you want, I can get into details about that, about this factoring and, and stuff like that, or 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 just move on. I, I think we could talk about the implications. And, and I think that's a perfect um, thing to highlight is that quantum computers aren't faster than classical computers. They're different. It's kind of like, uh, you know, bike's not faster than a car, but there are some places where I can get I get a lot of places faster on a bike than I could on a car. Right. Like through a forest. Um, I might have to go hundred miles on a car, whereas I can just do one mile on a bike. The bike bike's not going any faster than the car. It's going much slower, but it's going to get there faster. And I think that's the, the way to think about it. Right. Right. Um, right. But, but what it also leads is the importance of the algorithms. In other words, Look, I, I love the engineers and the physicists, and they're working to build the quantum computers. Absolutely, and 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 they have to and they have to do it. But but what really is the centerpiece is the algorithms, the the way it works, and and the algorithms are based on different ideas than classical computer algorithms, and so 
if you focus on the algorithm, you have to focus on the algorithms because that's the real difference. That's the real speed up that you get. So, so, and, and that's, by the way, very good for the, for, for, for the general reader because uh, the general audience, because most of us are not physicists and engineers and, but we want to, you know, understand quantum computers a lot better. And so we have to talk about the algorithms rather than the, than the engineering. Okay. Uh, I just want to point, point out an interesting thing. Um, in when I wrote my book, the hardest part was to write the engineering part. You know, how are quantum computers actually made? And the reason for that is because there's still no fixed way of making a quantum computer. There's no set, you know, what technology should be used, what physics should be um, employed, as opposed to what other should not be employed. So, so that that was a hard part to read, and by the way, it's still true. I mean, the the book is 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 a few years old, but it's still true. Every single university, every single um, company that's making quantum computers has their own ideology. Should they use photons? Should they use ion traps? Should they use this? Should they use that? Um, and and it's still it's not fixed. So you know, it's hard to know. Which which technology, if any, and I doubt any of them will, will will take us to the future. As opposed to that, classical computers, you know, we have transistors. We're going to use transistors for the next three thousand years. Um, and so, if you learn how a transistor works, you know how a classical computer uh, classical computer will work. And I think this this we and and we need to double down on this this very very important. Uh, aspect of of capacity and power and speed because i uh, a lot of people i talk with they have this tendency of oh so quantum computing is just gonna uh exponentially increase the capacity what we have uh, in in classical computing right which uh, as you mentioned it's it's as far as <laughs> from the truth as 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 possible right they're right. not faster they don't have they don't even have larger capacities, uh, uh, not to mention about the building blocks, the qubits, right, which are like a, a small fraction in terms of how many bits you have. But uh, I, I think this is one of the points which are fairly difficult to explain to people who are not, let's say, close to quantum computing, that probably the most important uh, differentiator is actually the algorithm itself. Right. It's, it's how you put to work that different, smaller, slower thing that a quantum computer is, right, to get results that sometimes are, let's say, exponentially faster than results you can get with, with, with classical computing. And at least my experience is that this is difficult to explain to people because people tend to think about computing in the same paradigm that they are used to and they think quantum computing is just like something that will bring more capacity, more speed to this paradigm that we're already in. And incidentally, yesterday, I, I've read a very interesting articles on the perils of the current level of engineering in classical CPUs. Uh, it seems that class, classical CPUs are starting to break down in let's say, very subtle ways, sometimes even undetected ways, because the, the, the level at which engineering happens with the traditional CMOS technology in CPUs is already seems to have really reached the physical limits. Well, they're reaching quantum effects. 
quantum yeah, effects exactly. are starting to have have an impact. So it's almost like the batons being handed off. We're going to reach a plateau in classical computing. It'll get as fast as it can get. And then it won't be able to get any smaller in the technology because of the quantum effects will will play havoc with the classical model that qu- classical computers are based on. And right. so it makes sense that quantum computers age would come at that point. Right. And and we have to talk about Moore's law, you know, this thing that the, the computers get smaller, the circuits get smaller and smaller. At some point, we're going to reach a limit and it's not going to be able to get smaller. Although something else will show up, <laughs> you know. Um, by the way, that brings this 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 fact that we're getting quantum effects by smaller things. So that brings to light another topic that's very important, and that's error correcting codes and 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 error detecting codes. Okay, which is something that classical computers really have been doing for a while, and obviously you're going to keep on have to do it even harder because we want to make sure that these effects, um, and this is central for quantum computing because there are even, there are quantum effects in quantum computing and therefore there will be randomness and there will be, um, non-determinism. And so we're going to, we do need, um, error detecting and error correcting codes. And, and that's a major part of quantum computing. And we've heard a lot of announcements about this advancement in this regard. Um, you know, even Microsoft's fundamental approach to it is because they believe the Majorana, um, fermion approach will give them a, a, a quieter, uh, less error prone. So the, the, the industry is focused on errors quite a bit, and there's been a lot of news, um, c- pretty much constantly about it. So I think everyone is on that. It, the question is how, how far are we from a point where, <clears throat> the number of logical bits is close to the number of physical bits. I'm not sure that's going to happen anytime soon. We're still dealing with millions of logical bits um, to, in order to have um, anything close to a million quant of log- um, logical bits. Did I say that the right way? I, I actually know some of that technology, and and it's there's some a beautiful analogy about that about how those a- anions work and 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 the way the way that's done what what they're I, if you want i can get into it uh, what, they, what they do is they they they're trying to make a computation as some type of knot in other words take a string okay and tie it all up and you know around and around each other or whatever and then connect the two ends of the string okay well that's that's some type of knot okay and that's going to correspond to some type of computation the point is, if I take that knot and I move around the pieces, in other words, I, 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 I pull out parts of the knot, it's still the same knot. In other words, I, I, can, I can fudge all the, all the parts and move it. And, and what they're trying to do, what they're trying to do is say, okay, that's the same type of thing that happens in a computation. In other words, you have some type of, process going and the process is going to be fudged by quantum effects but if we do it this way the computation will remain the same so you know this is getting into you know two things are really the same even though they make certain changes kind of kind of like you could pick it up and shake it or spin it around and it's still the same configuration so it's it's noise 
it's it's is resilient against noise. Exactly, which is you know uh, very different than you know classical computers. You know, if you if you've ever programmed and you accidentally put a semicolon where you meant to put a comma, you, you know the whole program falls apart. Yeah. Okay. So so we like that resilience in quantum computing, and they're and they're doing it, and they're having a very hard time to do it. <laughs> but yes. so so this is what their 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 aim. But it's there's a beautiful geometric intuition to this of. We're making a computation is some type of knot, and knots are fudgeable. You know, you can push them around and and shake them, and and they're still the same. Yeah, so temperature. The, they're not as sensitive to temperature as a superconductor or a photon is to right, heat. Right, right. And, and again, no, it's one. Of, it's one of the paradigms for quantum computing. It's not clear that 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 one's going to be you know the one, but that's that's the main positive aspect of that one. Uh, get, getting back to the algorithms, I'd like to, to, to pose the following question. It, it certainly seems to me, even quite a number of years after uh, the discipline, so to speak, of, of designing and writing algorithms for quantum computing became a thing, it still seems to be immensely difficult to uh, imagine, uh, to uh, design, to implement algorithms for quantum computing. So what would be the thing or the things that would simplify this in, let's say, the coming decade or decades from your point of view? Is, is there really a way? Is there a, a path of, of, of making this process a little bit more, let's say, accessible, understandable? Um, and I again, I give a simple example usually, right? One of the principles that is used in some of the algorithms is amplitude amplification. It's still very difficult to explain that to uh, folks who have a solid computer science background, right? But are, let's say, more or less rooted into the, the, the classical computing paradigm. So my concern is, is how do we make, in a nutshell, how do we make algorithm development simpler in quantum computing? I think that's a big challenge. I think it's a big challenge, and I, I'd like to add to the challenge, namely, I mean, the, there are not that many. Okay, so there are not that many algorithms out there. In other words, quantum algorithms have really. I mean, the history of them goes back to Deutsch, who you know, in the in the mid eighties, had some algorithm, and then it was built up, and then there's something called Shor's algorithm, which is the main one which uh, factors numbers quickly, which is going to destroy RSA. And then there's Grover's algorithm. And let's say Shor's algorithm was um, 1994, so that's almost 30 years ago. And there, there, there there are many algorithms, but they all seem to be of one or two shape in some sense. Okay, so it's not only that we're going to have a hard time teaching algorithms, but professionals have a hard time coming up with new algorithms. It's almost, like, a, it's almost like trying to discover new particles. There's only so many to discover. There's well, not one for everyone to discover. Well, well, that's that's one point of view is that there's only a finite amount of, you know, a certain amount that that exists. The other point of view is, you know what, there, there, there are many al- quantum algorithms out there. We just are not intelligent enough to figure them out. 
And then another possibility is there are many quantum algorithms out there. We're just not intelligent enough to figure them out now, but we, you know, we're, we're going to get better at it and, and, and do them. And, you know, we will find them. I, I don't know which, which is the right answer, but uh, this is a real issue and it's um, um, not, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't make this up. Peter Shore, who came up with Shore's algorithm, he wrote a paper and he asked the same question. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think, um, hold on, hold on. Uh, this is a paper from 2003, okay, called Why Haven't More Quantum Algorithms Been Found? Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's by the man. There's, there's nobody better at finding quantum algorithms than him, and he's asking this question. Um the question is, you know, did he change his mind? 2003 is 19 years ago. Did he change his mind since writing that paper? And maybe he feels that there are more algorithms now. So the question is, why are we having a hard time coming up with more uh, interesting algorithms? Okay, here's another, here's another possible answer. I, I said there, there are two or three families or shapes of these algorithms. Maybe that's all we need. In other words, you talked about amplitude, amplification, and uh, Shor's algorithm. A lot of the algorithms needed are from these two types of things. Uh, so, so maybe maybe that would take care of it. Um, uh, so, if I can just jump in, so the I've thought about this quite a lot because I would love to have an algorithm with my name on it as a vanity project. <laughs> um, but I don't think that's ever going to happen. But, I, but I've, I've spent a lot of time looking at Shores. I've read a lot of the background of how it came about. And what happened was he realized that he might be able to use quantum not to solve the problem on its face, but to solve it from the side. In other words, Shores' algorithm doesn't actually factor the numbers. It finds the order from which the factor was taken. And therefore, it allows a classical computer to get a hint and a head start that allows it to solve it instantly. So the first thing we need is an intractable problem that won't work with a classical computer. And there's there's a lot of those, but they're not an infinite number of those that we've identified. So that's the first thing. It has to be, because if you get a classical computer that can do something quick, Having an, a quantum algorithm that's going to do it slow, as you pointed out, isn't going to help anything. No one, no one cares if you can add three numbers with a quantum computer. That's not an algorithm. That's a trick. That's a that's a power trick. So you first need that intractable problem that a classical computer can't solve, and then you have to think weird. And and I, you know, I have great respect for for Peter Shore. I've, um, and but he doesn't think like the average person does based on, on lectures I've seen. He has a, that, that beautiful analytical mind. And so he came at it at a very different angle. And I think that's what's going to be required is <clears throat> take one of these hard intractable problems, come at it with, in a way that will make it easier for a classical computer to take it the rest of the way. And so you try not to do all of it with your algorithm. You try to do enough that you can crack the code and, and, and make it easier for a classical computer. That seems to be the formula because that's what Grover's does as well, I think. Um, every time you look at these things, it's, it's that kind of formula of really hard problem, come at it at a weird angle, and, and that requires an old, a, a different way of thinking and a lot of math and a lot of, a lot of understanding of that hard, intractable problem. 
right? So, so, and that, that brings it back to architecture again. There are not going to be quantum computers. There are going to be computers with quantum and classical parts of it, and and so they and they have to all intermingle and inter and work, you know, work together well. Um, uh, that's uh, yeah. Every every example of of a quantum calculation has classical bits that carry the the answer. Right. So they're they're already hybrid. They're hybrids. And, right. and I think Patrick, you you also highlighted a very interesting problem, which is, in my mind, I call it the embedding of the problem into the quantum space. Right. It's how do you actually describe a certain problem, whatever the problem is. Right. How do you describe it in 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 a quantum in a quantum space, in a quantum environment. Uh, and obviously, there's lot, there are lots of examples here with the quantum annealing, with the adiabatic quantum computing part, right, where the, uh, the optimization problems have to be embedded in the uh, uh, quantum chip, so to speak, right, to be able to be, to be solved. But I think this is a general problem. This is also an area where we still have a lot to work and a lot to understand, right? How to translate... Uh, as you mentioned, a pure, I don't know, data problem or mathematical problem can, first and foremost, can it be translated into a quantum kind of paradigm? And if yes, what's the best way to do it? So I think this is also very difficult at this point. Right. Uh, this quantum annealing is also something that, back to something Cyprian said earlier about, that it's totally different than quant than classical computers. There's no classical. We don't have a classical algorithm that can do anything like annealing, uh, the the way a quantum computer does. Uh, so we're we're we're. It's not that a quantum computer can solve a classical problem easier. It's we're getting different things. We're 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 dealing with different things, and. You know, some people would say that quantum annealing is not really a quantum computer or something like a D-wave. I don't want to get into that. And I, I, I definitely don't want to take an opinion on that because anything that works interesting is worthy of studying and worthy of, uh, you know, producing whatever. But so I don't want to get into what definition of what is quantum computing is. Yeah. Opposed to that. But it's a totally different type of problem. Quantum annealing solves a totally different type of problem, and and there we can have some very interesting results. Um, you know, helping people do things in that. that but, but we don't talk about algorithms in that regard. We talk about applying right. the quantum annealer to a problem as opposed to writing an algorithm that can run on the quantum annealer. Right, right, right. They're they're different. It's it's almost like it's a tool set. It's like a spreadsheet. Spreadsheets are incredibly useful but they're not general computing. They're a specific subset of computing. They solve financial and numerical mathematical problems, but they don't, they don't do CAD drawings. They don't do, there's a lot of things they don't do. They, they don't make a fun video game. Uh, and so I think we think of quantum annealing in that space of it's ahead of its time because it's jumped further ahead and solves a lot of problems. And I, I feel like based on the interviews that we've done, it's solving a lot of the fundamental chemistry and physics problems out there before quantum computers, universal quantum computers have a crack at them. And, and at the end, it will be good for mankind. <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, um, in ways that we can't possibly envision because we didn't even realize that there was a such a an idea of, uh, you know, designing some chemical to 
to do something like that. We we had no idea of such. Yeah, thing. I believe that physical science, <clears throat> material science, is sci-fi. That <laughs> that the difference between us and every imagined future culture that looks like us in our sci-fi is defined by the material science, which also defines their energy usage. You know, if you have the super spacesuit that's only like, you know, a millimeter thick that that's as strong as steel, you can do things you can't do without it. And so I think the material science aspects is really what's going to be transformative. I, I'd like to get back to something you, you were saying about, um, you know, we have to find the right problems for which these things work. So computer scientists are very good at classifying problems. Okay, they, they, they take any problem and they classify it. Let me, let me just give you a, a regular example. Uh, we can, in third grade, we learned how to add numbers, okay? And, you know, you could take two n-digit n, n numbers and add them together, and, and we say that that, um, you know, takes n times because you have to, you know, basically add n, num- n small numbers to get that. As opposed to that, multiplication takes n squared times. So you can take two n-digit numbers and you have to multiply every one of the bottom digits by every one of the top digits and that takes you know that's n squared things so we we know that addition is easier than multiplication that's why you learn addition in third grade and multiplication in fourth grade okay so computer scientists take this and they go further with this and they they make all types of classifications and so there's Problems called NP, NP stands for non-deterministic polynomial. It doesn't matter what that is. Okay, those are very hard problems. And then there's a subclass of that called NP-complete problems. And you probably heard of these things. And these are the traveling salesman problem, the knapsack problem. These are problems that basically take exponential amount of problems, uh, exponential amount of time to do for a classical computer. Okay, and um, it was shown a while back that quantum computers will probably not help us with NP-complete problems, okay? Um, now, what about factoring? So we, we spoke about Shor's algorithm. Shor's algorithm is very good. It turns out that Shor's algorithm factoring is a problem that is not NP-complete. It's NP, but not in that subclass of NP-complete problems. Hmm. Okay, there are th- there are two or three problems in this that we know of that are NP but not NP complete. And since Shor came out with his algorithm, um, everyone said, "Oh wow, maybe quantum computers only work in this NP NP um, um, group and not this uh, NP complete." So again, you have this. I'm thinking of a Venn diagram. I'm describing a Venn diagram on a podcast. Uh, you have this. Uh, you have this circle of NP problems. You have a, a, a subclass of that, a subcircle of NP complete. And NP complete is a little too hard for quantum computers, but maybe NP problems. Okay, and we only know of two or three problems that are outside of this circle. One of them is factoring. Okay, and so everyone thought, oh my God, if factoring is something that a quantum computer, maybe quantum computers are just made for these NP problems that are not NP complete. One of the other one of those problems is something called graph isomorphism. Okay, and I'd like to explain to you what that is. Take two graphs. You know, a graph is basically dots and lines in between them. 
okay, and t determine whether or not these two graphs are essentially the same. That's like we were talking about those knots before. Can mm -hmm. I mush around? Can I, um, I used a better word than mush. What did I use? Can we uh, fudge the, 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 not, the, the dots and the, and the things so that they're, they're exactly the same? Okay, that's called the graph isomorphism problem. And everyone said, hey, look, we tried factoring, and Shor showed us how to do that with a quantum computer. There should be a nice quantum computer algorithm to do graph isomorphism. People have been searching for 20 years, and they can't find it. So um, this is what I'm saying. It's hard to find these algorithms. Um, Even if you know where to look. Even if you even if you think you know where to look, they're they're hard to find, um, and this is an interesting thing, and it's it's um, it's it's very shocking uh, to find it. I, I'd like to uh, say something else uh, around this. We were talking about possible reasons why there's so few algorithms, or not as many as we think there should be, but in computers also. We have algorithm. We have a lot of algorithms for computers. Computers can do a hell of a lot of things, um, but most of the algorithms are of the type n, where n is n to the one, which we said is addition, n squared, which is multiplication, matrix multiplication, which is n to the third, or something like that, n to the fourth, n to the fifth. For some odd reason, we don't have a lot of algorithms that go n to the 6th, n to the 7th, n to the 8th, n to the ninth. Why? Why? There's a hell of a lot of computer scientists. There are a hell of a lot of computer professionals who are writing algorithms left and right. Why can't we go beyond this, this barrier? Um, and then, again, this is not just, you know, uh, oh, we need an Albert Einstein writing programs. This is cumulative, you know, computers are a community. This is a community and people are, are studying these algorithms all the time. Why can't we build on intuition of previous people and come up with more complicated algorithms or why is it not happening? Hmm. And um, again, you know, you can say, Oh, there's only, you know, no real algorithms exist out there or human beings are just not intelligent enough. Maybe some, I don't know what it is, but I mean, I, you, you spend a lot of time thinking about what we can't know. Right. So is I was on that edge of that. Is that right? That this is exactly on that edge. I wrote this book called the outer limits of reason, what science, mathematics, and logic cannot tell us. And, um, we, we talk about these, these, these problems, these things, why, why computers, um, why we don't have algorithms like that. I can, I can, the, the mathematicians classify their problems that they deal with also. And it turns out that all of mathematics can be, deals with problems of a certain type and, you know, anything harder than that, uh, we really don't have solutions to it. Well, I mean, we didn't have solutions to factoring large numbers. Uh, right before this this range of quantum computing it maybe there's another computing waiting for us in the wings biological computing is something that sci-fi has posited long before um Feynman posited quantum computing so maybe right. there's other computing modalities that we haven't even thought of i'd like to think of myself as a biological computer 
And uh, I, I, you know, I can do things that a computer, classical computer cannot do, not even That's a quantum true. computer. I can fall in love. I can have children and um, other types of things that, and I have feelings and emotions and, and, and morality and aesthetics and seems no classical computer can has that or quantum computer. So true. in some sense, we are already there. The example of the biological computer. Yes. <laughs> I don't think we're, we'll have a podcast about that if it happens. So (laughs) I'm not the only quantum computer, uh, biological computer on this planet. You can interview other people for that. That's true. (laughs) Cyprian. No, I I, I was just reflecting uh, on where this discussion is going, which is by the way, amazing. Uh, It, it, it certainly seems to me that um, a lot of the original kind of hype and enthusiasm around quantum computing, you uh, could even hear ideas like, oh, this will totally replace computing as we know it, right, is now kind of settling down and, and, and is being funneled towards understanding that, A, there will be a certain type of real-world problems that would be addressable by quantum computing. B, there will be a certain uh, type of algorithms that could be applicable to to quantum to quantum computing, right? And and C, there are certain types of results that we can expect from 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 quantum computers. So it certainly occurs to me that we are maybe maybe uh, in uh, uh, at the beginning of the let's say maturity uh, curve for for this where we start to uh, let's say understand better the limits, understand better the applicability? Or do you think we're, we're, we're still quite far from that? I think I get paid the same amount, whether I tell you I, the answer or I tell you I don't know. <laughs> I really, I, 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 I don't know. I, uh, I, I don't know. Well, that's an honest answer. <laughs> I'm... <clears throat> I think we're we're kind of plumbing outside the depths of uh, of what we can probably handle on a podcast. <laughs> well, I, I'm looking at the two big cycles in classic com- computing that I was part of. Right, one was the service oriented architectures. The other one was the BI analytics, whatever. Both of them were almost destroyed by hype. Right? By who? By who? By hype. By hype. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. And, and you're making me feel old because you uh, didn't mention client server. Well, so, yeah, yeah, well, okay, right. I, I distinctly remember that at some point you couldn't attend any conference without hearing how everything will be services and 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 everything will be uh, in in computing will be just pure services without any sharing of state, blah blah blah, right? And then at some point you couldn't attend any conference without hearing how everything will need to go into business intelligence and, and, and so forth, right? So my kind of number one fear with respect to quantum computing is the hype, right? I fear hype more than even the possibility of not succeeding in building performant hardware. Uh, and that's because I've seen it in other kind of areas. I've seen the damage it can, it can and, cause. And a part of the hype is what we addressed early in this podcast, which is quantum computing is not a replacement or a competitor to classical computing. Oh, definitely yes, definitely yes, and that's why it's so refreshing to hear voices like 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 yours, right? 
which are, are kind of telling us, look, there's stuff that you can do. This is what you can do. We don't know whether we can do this or that, right? So there are some things we know, some things we don't. And I think, honestly, I think we need to hear more in the, in the, in the public space, more on the, let's say, non-hype talk versus the hype talk that we unfortunately hear quite a lot. Can, can I go, go back and talk a little history? Um, in the 1930s, Turing, Alan Turing, who's the father of computer science, came to Princeton, and he um, proved uh, or proved that the halting problem was unsolvable. Okay, uh, Basically, he said that you cannot create a computer that will ever tell if a computer will go into an infinite loop or not. Okay, He did that in the 1930s. It was only in the 1940s when the engineers actually came up with a working computer. Actually, Turing had a large force in this when he was building, um, you know, the the machines to break the Enigma code, which you can you should watch in the movie The Imitation Game. Okay, so so he in the 30s he proved what a computer cannot do before anybody came up with what a computer can do or what what you know before computers actually existed. So that's an amazing thing of theoreticians. So I'm not, um, I'm not putting down quantum computers. I think quantum computers are amazing, and I think they will revolutionize the world, and they will change. I mean, just We have to look at it from a perspective. They're, they're not... Through a uh, realistic lens. Through a realistic lens that uh, they, 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 we have... Sh- it has been shown that they will not be able to do um, everything. I think we mentioned this in the last podcast. I promise you the quantum computers will break RSA and uh, the cryptography, the cryptographic protocol that's used today. However, there will always be another cryptographic protocol that will be harder and quantum computers won't be able to do it. Well, NIST has already picked their follow on standards of crystals, Kyber and crystals, dilithium as the, as the, the the standard bearers. I, I, I didn't keep up with that, but but the, so so yes, um, our world will change because RSA will will fall away um, as soon as quantum computers you know get large enough to you know factor large numbers. But the, there will always be secret protocols the way uh, computers uh, people into you know communicate with each other. Um, it'll just be a little bit more complicated. So, so, but, but my, my point is from historical, you know, the theoreticians have shown what cannot be done before engineers have shown how to do it. <laughs> so uh, I think this is a great example, right? Because uh, we've had several discussions on the show about how uh, many, let's say, similarities exist between the history of classical computing and the more, well, not even sure the more recent, the history of, of, of quantum computing, right? There, there are some patterns that seem to be repeating from the point of view of the succession of events and, and stuff that is, that is happening. And uh, it's, I think that's <laughs> it's a very, very good analogy and an example. I think uh, the analogy I have to give now is time flies when you're having fun because we're pretty much out of time. Oh. Uh, we can do another topic. Uh, we certainly want to have you back on the show. Uh, I think oh, it's a pleasure. I, you, I, I, you've I'm made the bar at, of regular guest. <laughs> I'm looking at the clock and I'm saying, whoa, whoa, wow. Uh, really? Where did Anyways. the time go? Okay, good. Anyways, uh, 
Any parting thoughts? Um, no, I, uh, I well, I, I just want to say uh, we, we've the quantum algorithms that we've uh, th- there are still a lot of quantum algorithms, and they can be learned by someone who is not a physicist, and 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 they should be learned by someone who is not a physicist. And the type of ideas that that you that are different than classical programming, they can be learned. Um, it's not, it's not that hard. And, and, and I don't know, I, I have your dream too. I'd like to put my name on a quantum algorithm also. Um, we'll, I, we'll name it three ways, all three of us. How about that? In <laughs> fact, I, I'd even put my name on your quantum algorithm if you come up with one. <laughs> but, but, um, but even if we don't create, create, you know, uh, you know, brand new ones, it's just, you learn something about the universe by studying quantum computing and studying quantum algorithms. And that's really something important to, to stress. And, um, anyways, it's been a delightful, uh, delightful chat. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. I'm sure we'll have you again soon. And it's always good to talk to you too, Cyprian. Thank you. This was a great, a great show. Thank you. Thanks everybody. Talk to you next time. Take care.